Prepare like the pros with the new FastDraw. FastDraw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With FastDraw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content resources through their blog and playbank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next Fast Model purchase. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. Kevin McGuff, the head coach of Ohio State University, is a fantastic story about coaching and about his journey, you know, starting off at Miami of Ohio, going to Notre Dame, then getting the head coaching job at Xavier, doing a crushing job, crushes it at Xavier, and then gets an opportunity to go out to the Pac-12, the University of Washington, only is there two years, has a phenomenal program, and then gets tapped on the shoulder to go to Ohio State one of the dream jobs in all of college basketball. And, you know, he has just done an incredible job every stop of the way. Got to do a Zoom call with him earlier in the summer. Uh, just love him, his passion for the game, and his ability to teach. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So after this timeout, come back. Kevin McGuff, head women's coach at Ohio State, the Ohio State University. MindView has just become our latest addition as a partner with Coaching You. MindView is an amazing, amazing company that literally is just releasing a platform. They have developed an incredible assessment that we have just totally, totally been blown away with because on this assessment that you can take in a matter of 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes on your phone, the things that you've never been able to measure before, like resilience, grit, hope, adaptability, all these things, they are able to measure them as to how you're thinking and feeling right now. This is a game changer as far as I'm concerned. I'm a strength finder guy. I love all that. But MindView is the latest technology. It is just literally coming on the market right now. The platform that they've created is second to none. The emphasis right now on your players' mental wellness is unprecedented. I'm sold on MindView. Now it's your turn. For more information about MindView, M-I-N-D-V-U-E, please contact the COO, Cleet McQuinn. His email is cmcquinn at mindview.com or visit their website at mindview.com. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. 
If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that in to Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and I am so excited today to have Kevin McGuff, the head coach of Ohio State, as our guest. Kevin, welcome, my friend. Hey, great to great to be here with you. I appreciate you having me on. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, as you and I probably, uh, among other college coaches and stuff, were led to country in Zoom calls this uh, <laughs> spring, <laughs> and we had a phenomenal call uh, one day through our buddies in Arkansas. And I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed uh, talking to it, and it was the neat part was it was mostly women coaches on the call, and it was fabulous, Fa- absolutely fabulous. Yeah, no, that was great. Now, yeah, to your point, I didn't know what Zoom was before COVID hit. Um, <laughs> oh, I, another, as a 69-year-old, I did. Sure, I did. <laughs> it's another missed opportunity on stock that we should have bought, too. Um, yes. But, um, yeah, so so like everybody, we've been on a lot of Zoom calls. And, and I've, I've actually won. We had a great call that day, and I greatly appreciate you coming on with all of us. Um, but I'll tell you what, I've been really um, pleasantly surprised I've been on a lot of Zoom calls with a lot of NBA coaches. Um, it, but people have been really good with their time and, and open and sharing. And I, I'll tell you, it is for as much as this has been a difficult situation for everybody, I feel like I've had more of a chance to connect to people and learn through Zoom than, than I ever ever would have. Because usually it entails having to go somewhere and just we're all so busy. So uh, I, I do feel like I've taken advantage of that. And, and I'm just – Man, really appreciative of all the people I've gotten a chance to talk to. Well, what you find out is, uh, well, I think it was almost for the college coaches who I care deeply about, uh, who unfortunately their job, they, they you know, we, we I, I got this years ago uh, from Tom Izzo uh, <laughs> so long ago. And one of the reasons I started coaching you almost 12, 13 years ago was Tom and I, when I, when I was with the Pistons, he said to me, Brendan, uh, as the head coach of Michigan State, I might spend maybe twenty, fifteen to twenty percent of my time on basketball. My assistants mm-hmm. are five to ten, and he said that sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and he says, you know, where am I going to develop guys? How am I going to get them better? You know, because I have to recruit. I have to at Michigan State. I'm the chief fundraiser. I'm almost like the assistant athletic director. Every hire we do here, I'm involved in it. You know, he wasn't complaining, but he was just saying, you know, and, you know, I got to worry about, you know, my players in the community. I'm the PR guy. I'm the marketing guy, you know, and all the things that he has to do. He's the chief culture officer, as all head coaches are. And and so he kind of put it in my head because in the NBA, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, oh, poor guy, you know, because I'd already done about seven years in college, so way back, and then 30-plus years straight in NBA, and I'm saying, as an assistant coach in the NBA, it's 95 to 100% basketball, 
head coach, 85 to 90% basketball, you have to do your PR stuff. But assistant coaches, no excuse if you're not 100% basketball with your time allocation because there's no recruiting, there, there's no academics, there's no fundraising, you know. And and all of a sudden, a bell went off, and I talked to Kevin Eastman at the time, and we said, you know, maybe we can help develop college coaches, and maybe we can get them to give us two days a year. That was all we wanted, two, day, yeah. two days to help them work. And now I That's think, a, this, yeah. So I think this that, has really been interesting because uh, I think it's one of the first times people have gotten to work on their game. It's a, it's such a great point, and it's so true. Is that um, I, I mean, like your conversation with Coach Izzo, the the amount of conversations I have with colleagues about how just you don't have we we don't find the time we don't either have it or we don't find the time to really make sure we're developing especially in the basketball arena because all these other aspects of running a program are so important and um it's just gotten to this point with recruiting and with compliance and with work in the community and um it just you know with the academics there's so many important aspects to it that uh, it is really tough to find the time um, to develop yourself as a coach, especially from an X and O standpoint. So back to, I think, A, what you guys do with coaching you and, and how much you commit to that is cr- critically important for college coaches to have an opportunity to, to spend p- time with people like yourselves and the other people you bring into the fold to, to help us grow. Um, and then B, this has been a unique year in that I think like a lot of people, we've spent more time on it. And, and I'll tell you, I, I would, I would hope that, that people will really be looking at what you do in the coming years. Like I got to really commit myself to that because during that COVID time, I, and I want to keep on growing like that and, and commit to that, find time to do it. Yeah. And I think as a, as the leader of the group, as the head coach, you know, we want our assistants to someday become head coaches. You know, I, I, we know that. Uh, you know, that's one of the things we want. But at the same time, you know, if you say to a young person that comes on your staff, hey, I'm hiring, or you're hiring them because they can recruit, then when they get that head coaching job, they're going to fall right on their face. And No question. And, and, and that's a bad trend. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I really talk about that a lot in our men's game at the collegiate level where a lot of black assistants are hired to recruit. And I tell them, do not let yourself become a recruiter. Do not. You're a basketball coach, you know, and you have to develop your game or else when you do get a job, you're going to lose your job and then you're back being a recruiter. And that's not what you want. They're too talented people. I think that's an incredible point. And like you, I tell assistant coaches all the time when they go to look for jobs to make sure they have that part of the conversation. And I go back to one of the most transformative times of my life as a person, certainly as a coach, was when I was an assistant coach at Notre Dame under Muffet McGraw. Mm-hmm. And that was when she it hired was, men. That was it was when an she extraordinary experience. <laughs> and she was as good as uh, she was incredible at, you know, like people always ask me about that experience. And I say, you know, she's she's a great coach, great X and O's, but but more importantly, she really treated people well. And what she did is she ran the program well. And what that meant for me as an assistant for her is she gave me a lot of responsibility and the other assistants. And she said, Hey, here's what I want you to do. She gave me a little, you know, artistic flair to do it how I wanted to do it. 
Mm-hmm. But she gave me a lot of responsibility, and I really grew as a coach. I grew as a recruiter on a national level at Notre Dame. I grew as an X and O coach. I, I told you this story. Yeah, we went. We went. Muffet and I went and watched the Chicago Bulls practice. We spent time with Tex Winter, um, talking about the triangle offense because that's what we were going to. That's what we did run, and we won a national championship running the triangle. And she gave me a lot of latitude with scouting. And it really prepared me for when I got my first head coaching job at Xavier. And that's one of the things I, 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 it really stuck with me how important that was for me. And so I try to do now the same with my staff, especially the people on staff who aspire to be head coaches, is to give him or her the responsibility necessary so that they can grow and get the experience um, to be successful, like you said, because if somebody doesn't give them that opportunity, it's really hard to make to make the jump in this day and age with all the scrutiny on these head coaches. Hey, t- tell our listeners because you know we have men, women coaches from all over the world. But I, I love this story, Kevin, that you told about when you and Muffet were going to LA and you were rec- and you yeah. recruited Ruth Riley. It's an incredible story. Uh, t- please share. Um, that. Yeah, so we we had gone to uh, watch the Chicago Bulls practice up in Chicago when, you know, Phil Jackson was the head coach and um, Tex Winner's assistant and Michael Jordan, the whole, the whole nine yards. And they were running the triangle. But when they were running the triangle then, they didn't really have a true center. They had, they had really kind of, um, you know, they, they, were, they were playing a little differently um, without a guy like Shaquille O'Neal. And so it just so happened that the timing was we had recruited – um, a young woman named Ruth Riley from Indiana, who was a, a, a really a fabulous prospect, six foot five, and really we thought could be really special. But when we were recruiting her, we were trying to figure out how we were going to plug her into the triangle because we had been playing like with a little bit smaller, more agile centers who could kind of move around. You, you could put them on the elbow. They were really good and, and all that stuff. So we happened to be going to uh, going to recruiting to Los Angeles. So we're, we're literally walking through O'Hare um, to our gate. And this is right after Phil Jackson had just taken the head coaching job at the Lakers. And of course, Tex Winter was going with him. So we're walking through the, the terminal and we, we literally walk right past Tex Winter and Muffet stops as this coach. And, and he remembered her um, from our time being up there watching them practice. And, and so, you know, just got to, got to talk and he's like, yeah, I'm heading to LA. Obviously we're trying to get everything up and running, you know, with, with just getting this job. And, and so, you know, we started a conversation talking about, Hey, you know, it's ironic that we, we were just talking about you guys because we have an incoming center that we think is going to be really special, but she's mostly in around the basket center, kind of like what Shaquille O'Neal will be for you guys. And we were trying to figure out how we were going to continue to run the triangle and plug her into this. And, and he said, well, listen, he said, I already got a lot of ideas what we're going to do with Shaq. He said, where are you guys staying? He said, well, he said, well we're staying at LAX because you know, this school that we're going to go see this kid at is pretty close to that. And he said, well, if you could, if you tomorrow, he said, give me, just lock off about an hour and a half, two hours in a room there. I can be there. I think it was like from one to three. I'll come over. I'll go through what we're going to do with Shaq. And, and hopefully this will give you some ideas that you can do with your you know, new center. With so sure enough, we, we blocked off the room. And, and the next day at one o'clock, Tex Winter walks in there. And I, I was just, it was incredible. And we had the most incredible hour and a half, two hours that I've ever spent with a coach from an XO standpoint. Because like, like, you know, we, we kind of knew the triangle because we had been running it. But man, the way he had now adjusted it to to fit Shaq 
was incredible. And so we, we couldn't have been more excited. And I'm telling you, when he walked out of that room, I said to myself, if young coaches ever, ever for some reason want to talk to me about something or need guidance, I always remember this because if Tex Winter can take the time when mm-hmm. he just got to Lakers stop to come spend with us, then as veteran coaches, everybody should be doing that because that, that's, that's truly how you grow the game. And so we come back, we plug that in, and, and we, um, we, we were way, way, way more successful with that and with Ruth than we would have ever been if we wouldn't have ran into Tex in O'Hare and he wouldn't have taken the time to come spend with us. And, you know, we end up winning the national championship around the triangle offense. So it's an incredible story and, and just one of the highlights, really, of my coaching life, that whole story. Hey, talk to me about uh, Muffet, you know, as a, as a coach, obviously, you know, Hall of Famer, uh, you know, had a, an incredible run at Notre Dame and uh, it's legendary. But talk about what, are, what were her strengths so the, the women coaches on, but it also, frankly, the same thing that she does works for every guy. What, what were her strengths as a coach? What, in your eyes, what made her so special? Yeah, you know, um, she's a really great person, and mm-hmm. um, she was very instrumental in in in, in my life. And and you know, my wife had played for her um, not when I was there as a coach. I'll, I'll, I'll start with this story. This is a great story. This kind of speaks to who Muffet is because she's a great person. So. Uh, she, I was a young coach at Miami of Ohio. She had two jobs open, two assistant coaching jobs. And so my wife had played at Notre Dame for Muffet and then went and played professionally in Italy. Wow. And she got hurt. She tore ACL. And so uh, she came back um, after getting hurt. And so Muffet offered her a job about 10 days before she interviewed me. And so, um, so she hired my wife. Then I went up for an interview. Muffet, my wife, came. They took me to dinner the first night. Now, what I always say is that my wife, Letitia, told Muffet, like, hey, you got to hire this guy. Now, <laughs> she may have a different story, um, but, but that's how we met. We met in coaching because she got hired at Notre Dame a week before, about a week before I did. Um, and then and Muffet was always like, you know, you guys obviously have chemistry. You, gotta, you guys need to get together. She was always really pushing us because she knew that we had an attraction. So that's, great. Um, that's how I met my wife, number one. And then, um, but Muffet is a, she's a great person. She really cares about people. She was really good to everyone that worked for her. She helped everybody get head coaching jobs. She treated everybody extremely well. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is she's really into the X's and O's. Like, like those times when we went to the, watch the bowls or we sent with Tex winner, she was really into that stuff. She kind of morphed into the Princeton offense later in her career. And it was really good to her. And she did an excellent job. Um, but I think the most important thing, um, that she was really great at is she was a great manager of the program, she, extremely organized, kept everybody connected, uh, communicated really well. And I think that's really what separated her. And that's one of the other things that really struck me is because, you know, we've all seen those coaches who are great X and O coaches, but they just don't run the program well and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from her is that managing the program with organization and execution and discipline is, is incredibly important. And she was really superb at that. The right coach at the right place, right? For her. I mean, obviously she could no have been question. a great WMB. I, I would say that all the time. I'd say, Hey, 
is she the best coach in the country? I don't know. She might be, um, but I'll tell you this. She, she sure as hell is the best coach that Notre Dame could ever have. Yeah. Uh, her relationship with Gino was an interesting one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, and, yeah, you know, I think we when, when I was there, it was interesting because when I was there, we were ch- kind of chasing Connecticut. And right. um, and we finally, we, you know, I don't know that you could say we caught them, but we, we did beat them in the Final Four, win the National Championship 2001. And we kind of, that's when we kind of got to that highest level. And I think, like, you know, it just kind of, for a while, you know, for a while it was Connecticut and Tennessee who were the, the, yep. the two big dogs on the block. And there's just always going to be that natural tension. And then it was Notre Dame. And, and I think uh, you have two excellent coaches who are really proud of their programs and are just proud people. And, and, and there's always going to be that tension that they're competing to be the best. And, and when Notre Dame got there where they could legitimately compete in recruiting on the court consistently with Connecticut, there was just that natural tension. I, I, I think deep down there was always respect um, that went both ways, but it was contentious for a while. And, and you know what? I think it was actually good for women's basketball. I really do. I think it, it kind of drew more fans in and, and people uh, really enjoyed the rivalry. I think uh, Gino did a great job of really, you know, when, especially when he, there was a time when he, you know, demolished many of the Big East teams outside of Notre Dame. And, and then, you know, then when he went to the American Athletic Conference, you know, totally destroyed teams. And, and I, I you know, and when he spoke for us a couple of times, I, I said to him, my friend, why do, you, why do you destroy these teams? He said, because I love the women's game and I want the schools to make a commitment to them. You just can't play basketball. You have to commit to having a good program. And it was, it's a different approach. Uh, what he was trying to do, but I, I understood, you know, you know, because he wanted their league to be better, you know, especially the American when they went to, when they went into that league, you know, I mean, he would have teams down seventy points. <laughs> he just kept yeah. going, man. <laughs> he's ruthless, but I loved it because he's such a great competitor and stuff. And so, you know, you better invest in your in your program, which I think is great for the women's game. I agree, and I think you know one of the things that he does within the program is he sets such high standards. And I think what you were just saying, he was trying to set a standard for women's basketball within the league and really as a sport. And I do think that was good. I think it raised the level. Um, People were kind of chasing them. And and I I do think that's been productive and helpful. What makes, uh, you know, you know, you're, you're playing in an incredible conference uh, for women's basketball in the big 10. But uh, right now, uh, I love, I like the women's game. I'll get some good tweets and emails on this one. But, I, you know, I, I love the women's <laughs> game because I like the rules better. Okay. Yeah. The men, yeah, me too. The men I are so damn right. slow to adapt. They, they think they've, you know, they invented the game, which, you know, you know, they, all their players want to play in the NBA and they won't just use the NBA rules, which would help them recruit better. But the women have done some really great things. You know, the men's collegiate game is the only league in the world, as you know, that play, doesn't play four quarters. Yes, um, I think you're 100% right. I, the changes that we have made in the women's game, I think, have been great. I, I like the four quarters because now you've got, you know, four end of quarter or kind of end of game situations. You can do two for ones. Um, 
you know, you can you can fouls. I like the fact that the fouls reset now after a quarter. Hundred uh, percent. Yep. Um, you know, I, I like the fact that we advanced the ball at the end of the game. It's it just creates for more exciting um, strategy. Sure. And and I think the the women's game we've we've seen a lot of great plays and and stuff out of that. And so I, I think we've done a really good job making adjustments um, to the rules that just kind of add to the excitement of the game and, and hopefully there then, you know, raises the popularity in some respects. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I would love to see the men do that. I think it'd be smart. Um, but I, I'm happy with that. We've done it. Yeah. Kevin, if, if you could, uh, any other rule changes that you would like to have in a women's game that would help the game in general? You know, I, I'm, I'm probably, uh, in the minority here, but I wouldn't mind if we even took the shot clock down to 24. I would love to see it just speed up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I would love for them um, to to explore. And just um, the other thing would be I I would like to see – I haven't seen the data yet on the three-point line. If we should put it where the men's line is, it's a, it's – I think it's doable how we're doing it. It's also a little funky with two lines out there and yeah. you know, people trying to figure out which line they're on. Those are two things I, I think we should look at. There. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, the other one, do you still have, you have five fouls, right? I would, yeah, I would like to have six fouls. In I think college. that'd be good. I, w- I would agree with that. Cause the reason is for me is that kids, you know, this is collegiate athletics. Kids are here to play. And That's if everyone's right. got six fouls, then we don't have our, you know, we have to almost at college take a kid out in the second foul in the first half. Yeah. And, and that stinks for the kids. You know, make it right. three fouls. And then, and and do you on the women's side, do you have the archaic rule that we have in men about if you get a technical foul, it's a personal foul? Yeah. yeah Someone yeah, explain yeah. that to me, please. I still don't understand <laughs> that. Uh, you know, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, if you get two technicals, you're out of the game. But why a technical is a personal, I just don't get, I, you know. Especially I would when, agree with you. Yeah, I mean, and I think we've we've gotten really, and, and I get it. I think decorum from the players, from the bench, is critically important um, as is sportsmanship. But we've gotten really into just what I what I've seen at some points, just displays of emotion where they're they're getting technicals, and I think we got to be careful with that because we want these kids to play hard and play with emotion and enthusiasm and energy. And I, I've seen a couple of those that I'm. I've been a little concerned about we were kind of veering too far into just kids being emotional about the game and, and coming up with technicals. So I think we got to watch that. You know, I think uh, someone said, well, we need it because the referees have to be able to control the game. Well, if you can't control a woman's or men's college game, you shouldn't be reffing. You know, I mean, uh, I, mean right. I mean, you know. And, and, and by the way, there's a lot of great refs who control it just fine. Yeah. Without having to do that. Exactly. And that's part of being a ref, you know. So it's, that's right. What uh, – Talk to me about uh, what I love are different trends. I remember there was such a strong emphasis, as you mentioned, with Muffet and Gino. They're running either triangle. A lot of women's teams, even uh, you know, you know, our, you know, our great, our great, great Tennessee coach. She she was running a lot of triangle. I remember at times. You know, yeah. what 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 are we trying to what what do you see as the trends of the games now? You know, um, I will tell you, when I got to Washington, which was 2011 as the head coach, uh, 
in my second year there, and Mike Neighbors was my assistant, and we we had one center, and she tore ACL like like right at the beginning of the summer, and we looked at ourselves like, oh, like what, what are we going to do now? Like, and so um, we were, so I, I started kind of tinkering around and, and I came across the dribble drive and I had really didn't know a lot about it. And there weren't a lot of college coaches at the time doing it. So I, I tracked down Vance Wahlberg's number uh-huh. and I, awesome. and I text him, I text him and anybody knows Vance. Now I, I didn't know this at the time. I mean, he just, he, he loves basketball. I mean, he loves mm-hmm. to talk. He loves to teach it. So I text him and I said, Hey Vance real quick. I, I got your number. I'm, I'm the head coach at Washington, and I, I don't have any post players. And so I want to learn more, more about your offense because I do think we're going to be able to play with some space and we got some speed and quickness, and I think we can play fast. And, you know, So he, so I, literally I text him. You know, and then I te- what I did, I text him. I said, hey, is there anywhere in the West that you're doing a clinic? I'll, mm-hmm. come, I'll come watch it. Like 30 seconds later, he called – my phone's ringing. He calls me. He's like, hey, what's up? I got your text. Like he calls me like we knew each other for 20 years. That's just kind of who he is. He's such a great guy. And so we started talking back and forth, and then I went to see him. And so my point is we started running the dribble drive, and it was really good to us. So we we ran the dribble drive. We started running at Washington. And when I left and came to Ohio State, my neighbors continued to run it. And this is a great story, and Vance would like me – saying this so when i left um mike neighbors took over he did a phenomenal job right i mean phenomenal he took washington to the final four Um, we had recruited kelsey plum kelsey plum is the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history ncaa um and she did it in the dribble drive offense and it just generated a lot of points how about so that? that was a trend at that time and that continued for a while a lot of people doing that and then ironically i got to ohio state we got kelsey mitchell and she's the number two all-time leading scorer in the history of the game also running the drive so so vance will be happy that i'm saying that on a podcast (laughs) people can say dribble drive you can you can score some points um but so literally we had we had kelsey Plum, who was left-handed, ran the dribble drive, and Kelsey Mitchell here, left-handed, ran the dribble drive, and they're one and two in the history of the game scoring. Um, so that was a trend for a long, for a while, um, and that's still a bit of a trend. But what I'm seeing now, and we're kind of doing it here at Ohio State, is, and this isn't easy because you got to have post players that can shoot shoot the ball. Um, but there's there's some people starting to do, and we did it last year. I, I I studied the Milwaukee Bucks and a lot of their five out stuff. Right. Um, so we started toying around with some of that. Now I have two center, three centers um, that can play the, the the four or the five that can all shoot the three. So we're a little bit unique. But I've had more people reach out to me about that, and I think a lot of people are watching the NBA and the WNBA and seeing a lot more of that the spacing. Um, you know, there's not a lot of post players who really want to play around the basket anymore. Exactly. Um, so they're all trying to develop printer skills. So I think that is starting to become a trend. And I think it's going to be a bigger trend in the coming years in college, like it is in the NBA now. I 100% agree with you. And, and we know sports in general, whether it's football, basketball, they're trendsetters and, uh, or fo- following trends. And, and so I agree. And if you watch the NBA on this restart, 
my first question of the 22 teams playing, who is not running five out? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, who's exactly. not? I don't know who is and not. I don't, I'm not sure. And, uh, you know, and the spacing is critical. And even like my friend Billy Donovan coaching at Oklahoma City, you know, who is a great college coach, and, and he's running five out now for a couple yeah. of years. And he's got Stephen Adams who couldn't make a shot from the foul line, you know. But, man, yeah, right. he, he's a terrific, strong, strongest player maybe in the NBA and plays great around back. But he's using him as a screener and a roller, you know, and, yeah. uh, but, and spreading the other guys out. So it, I think it's absolutely fascinating and stuff. What about in a defensive event, Kevin? What do you what do you see in there? Yeah, so in in women's basketball defensively, you you have a like probably a, a pretty good mixture of man and zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say people kind of press some, but I don't I don't think a lot of people really commit to that. I don't think there's a lot of people that believe in that as Hey, I'm going to do that night in, night out, and beat the best teams on my schedule. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know the the pack line defense has been a little trendy in women's basketball, and I think because you know you've seen obviously Virginia on the men's side have so much success with it, um, but I think also as the rules have changed and they've kind of tightened up. You know, we like we try to play with spacing. Like I was telling you, we were either doing dribble drive, or now we're doing some more five out to create spacing and really attack off the dribble. Well, part of the reason we do that is is they do tend to call a lot of fouls um, off the dribble um, in right. women's basketball. So I think a lot of people are trying to stop the drive now with pack line type defense or zone, which which also can take away the dribble penetration. But as more teams offensively have been trying to space and drive the ball, the reaction defensively has been pack line or a mixture of pack line and zone. Most popular zone that you see in women's collegiate ball? You know, the 3-2 seems to be really 3-2, 1-2-2, whatever you want to call it. That seems sure. to be pretty popular. Um, I would say that's probably the most popular one. In the men's game, it's 2-3, interesting. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, or an ad- a little bit of adapted to that is like what you know Baylor with a one one three, you know, or like Syracuse, yeah. you know, yes. some of the teams like that, you know, type of thing. But go into a two three versus the one guard front. How about uh, the pick and roll part in offensive basketball in a women's game? Yeah, that is that is. I would say if there was one other trend, I would say on the offensive end, it would be that you you do see a lot of ball screen motion and and some some you know, specific sets out of it. Uh, but that's been pretty popular as well. The ball screen motion. You know, I, and I, you know what, it's so funny because, you know, and I love the WNBA and I love, you know, the, the kid, I was watching a WNBA game last week and I could, they were playing so fast Yeah, and, and they're coming down and they're shooting a three. Like I don't see guys shoot it. And I'm saying, Holy cow! And I and I marvel because I was there when the WNBA started, and I said, I can remember I was coaching the Magic, and they they you know they brought in the whole WNBA kids that were going to be in the first year of the WNBA for a combine at our facility, and oh. I remember it like it was, and and Chuck Daly and I are watching it, and 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 to see what has happened now, it's phenomenal, yeah. just phenomenal, yeah. 
Yeah, it's been a lot of great growth, and I think um, – you know, the, there's a really high level of play right now. There's a lot of great coaching in yep. the in the WNBA right now, and and um, I'm I'm enjoying watching it. I really am, and so I'm I'm really happy with where the league is. I hope it can continue to grow, and and I hope the television coverage can continue to expand. I think the league needs that, and just new new revenue opportunities so that um, so that they can. You know, you know, continue to flourish, and, 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 the, and the, the the young women can get paid appropriately, and and uh, you know, kind of travel the right way and stuff like that. So I'm really hopeful for that, and also you know, proud of the league. They've done a great job with like you know, kind of like their mission to promote social justice. They've been kind of, I think, leaders in that space, and so I think the league has done a lot of really great things. Well, you know what they they do. The women did a great job of is they partnered and they hired the people that run the NBA Players Association to represent them. So yeah. they're all of a sudden the contracts doubled. And I think yeah. that's, that's fabulous. That's uh, brilliant. Yeah. That yeah. Was, that was so, you know, so now we have awesome. the G League, the WNBA, and the NBA players all under the same leadership group as far as representation. It's a powerful union now. I always said uh, in working with the uh, Players Association for the last 10 years as a consultant – it's the most powerful union in the world. In the world. Yeah. Because there's no union that averages, for an individual worker, $9.5 million per person. Right. That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. And, and, and pretty the, strong. The living conditions are pretty good, as a.k.a. the bubble. You know, uh, yeah. they, they, they do an amazing job, and they have, uh, you know, really good people. And the, the players that are on their leadership board, they finally, you know, got that they have the best, some of the best players in the league, the real leaders, on their executive board, like Chris Paul is their president for several years. That's how you get things done, you know, and yeah. which is really great. And uh, and the women, I think, you know, with Sue Bird and some of the others are really they're seeing it. That's that's how you have to go to get it done. Let me ask you a couple of questions uh, about your incredible Ohio State program and everything. But how a couple of things? I talked to Mike Bray last week. He thinks uh, he was president of the NABC in uh, the past year, and he thinks that now recruiting could be changed forever with the Zoom situation. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Uh, and, and if and if I'll say this, if Mike Bray said it, it's probably right. He's a really yeah, smart guy. He is. He was. He got to Notre Dame before I left. I really I liked him a lot. I like him a lot. Um, he was awesome. So. Um, but I would agree with that. I, I just think – I think a lot of things are going to change. Um, but I just think the, the ease of which it can happen now yeah. and um, the way we can exchange information, uh, I, I think especially – because like from an economic standpoint, it's not going to be like this year is going to be the only year that COVID affects universities and the way we do things. It's going to take a while for everybody to kind of dig out of this. So when you can kind of limit some of your travel and, and do it on Zoom, I think it's going to make a lot of sense. I think, you know, we're dealing with young people who are tech savvy and are very comfortable with FaceTime and Zoom and stuff. I mean, that's how they talk to their friends. So why not talk to the coaches like that too and get to know them and build relationships and exchange information. And so I would agree a thousand percent that this is going to be a significant part of recruiting uh, moving forward, regardless of when we get out of this pandemic and all that. And I think he also mentioned that he said, um, 
you know, every school, even if, you know, you guys are both at, you know, super power fives and, you know, you guys have, you know, along with Texas and other have had as big a budget as any schools in the country. But you know what, Gene, you know, the great Gene Smith and uh, other people, they say, you know what, we saved a lot of money recruiting. You know, we had to. We had no choice. But, yeah, you right. know, it is, and the Zoom was effective. Guess, guess what? Football's probably recruited their ass off this year. Yep. On, you know, got earlier commitments than ever. And uh, and then you guys are probably doing fine. And you know what? Because if a kid wants to go to Ohio State, they're going to gravitate there anyway, I think, you know, to a degree. And it, and, yeah. and, it, and in many ways, it evens the playing field out some ways. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think it, it could it could maybe push a little more regional recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like Good for call. a kid like Ohio, if we're doing a Zoom right now, she's, she's probably been on our campus and she's probably been here a couple times um, because it's easy to get here and all that type of stuff. So I think that could be one of the other outcomes. You may see a little bit more of that as well. Do you feel that you're going to have actual on-campus visits this year? I, I don't see. I don't foresee that anytime soon. I, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I kind of see too much unknown, right? Too much unknown, and it's like, just why take the risk? God forbid, if some positions. some kid gets yeah, something while she's here. Some yeah, kid gets sick, and or their parents, <laughs> or their parents, probably, or their grandparents when they go home. You know, there's just a, a lot to it. Great point. So I, I don't, I don't see that coming anytime soon. I really do not. Well, I, I think it's, uh, I think we're, this is, how will you, now your, your, your young women are coming back to campus real soon. How are you going to approach it as they come onto campus? What, what are, what are your restrictions as far as getting them up to speed? Yeah. So, um, you know, our university, um, our athletic leadership and Gene Smith, everybody, they've done a great job mm-hmm. kind of putting protocols in place and we've had some kids on campus so we kind of have a feel for right now but one of the things that we're going to do we're going to aggressively test we're testing we will be testing our players twice a week um in sort of a rolling testing um program that would would you know figure out if somebody was positive i think pretty in a pretty quick time because one of the things with young people a lot of people aren't necessarily showing symptoms. So if you're not testing, you could get somebody, get it, and that could spread real quickly because they may not show the symptoms. So we're going to be testing. Um, Then what we're going to do too is because for some of our kids, we haven't seen them for a while. We're going to, we're going to do a physical like we do every year, but we're going to spend some time just in the weight room and let the strength coach um, assess kind of where they are physically um, from a conditioning standpoint and get that up to speed before we really kind of ramp up the basketball. And, excellent. Excellent. You idea. know, we, we just want to, we just want to make sure we're not rushing into everything all at one time and, and they're not ready for it um, because we just haven't seen some of these kids for a while. I think now, we've, had, yeah. we've had some kids on campus, so we know where they're at, but the ones that we haven't, that's kind of going to be the plan. I think it is. It's going to be quite a year, and I hope we just all get a chance to play. Uh, you know, and uh, for the kids' sake, you know, you know, you and I have coached a lot of games. It's all right, but for the kids' sake, I really hope they get an opportunity to compete and stuff. It's an important part of their life and all, and I hope they can get an education on campus too, because that's such a great part of the college experience, especially at an incredible place like Ohio State. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Obviously, I mean, we're gonna do the best we can to create a safe and 
environment and try to make this work. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But man, I'd love to see these kids get a chance to play. And and yeah, you know, I, I think for us specifically, we ended the year on a real high note. You know, we lost to a great Maryland team in the Big Ten tournament file, final. We were getting ready for the NCAA tournament. We had a young team that I was excited about, and then. You know, COVID hits and we can't play. And so, man, I just hope we get a chance to kind of carry over that momentum into this year and, and see what we can do. But I guess we'll see what happens. You'll get it done, Kevin. And I just pray that it, that you get a chance to get back there and get working and stuff. And I look forward to watching you and your team play. Thanks so much great. for visiting with us. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Always great to catch up. Take care. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Appreciate that. Kevin McGuff is quite coach and i think you've found from his stories he's a learner he loves to teach and at the same time you can see his personality is what makes you know a terrific head coach understands his role as the ceo of a program and stuff and uh, i think he's a great listen men or women's game this is a guy that you can really pick his brain and learn from uh you know so i appreciate kevin doing this and uh next week i think you're really going to enjoy what we have in store for you uh, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. 